Welcome to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast, where our goal is to connect listeners to the great outdoors with hosts Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandell. I'm host Ben Brandell, owner of Meant to Be Outdoors, instructor of outdoor skills, and passionate about personal growth. I'm host Brian Hoffmeyer, wildlife biologist and avid outdoorsman. Welcome back to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast. I'm your host, Brian, with my co-host, Ben Brandell, and this is another episode of the Creation Inspired Series. This is the series where we talk about things that are used in our everyday lives that have inspired by God's divine creation, things that are so awesome that we take them into our lives and it makes our lives here on earth better. We've covered Velcro so far that was inspired by cocklebirds. We've covered painless needles. We've covered wasps that inspired paper, wood pulp paper, and today we're going to be talking about all the things that plants inspire. Plants are absolutely amazing. They're such a crucial part of the carbon cycle, and the carbon cycle really is life. It's what makes the world go around. It's where all energy comes from, and we'll kind of be explaining that more as we go through. Uh, But some of these things we're about to share with you, it's just going to really show that God is amazing, creation is amazing, Um, and even in some of these cases, we're trying to copy it to make our lives better. But we can't because God is so much greater and so much more intelligent than we are. Yeah, sometimes we can actually mimic what's already created. Sometimes we're actually just trying to do little bits and pieces of what is happening out there because in all reality, we are not God and cannot create what God has created. What I find so interesting is is a lot of the research that's out there for mimicking plants and really the process of photosynthesis in general is scientists that are not Christian, scientists that believe in evolution and not creation, they look at this and they think, oh, it's a simple process. It's just a couple things happening here and there. We can make this happen. And then what they find out is they can't. (laughs) No matter how hard they try, they can't. And what I find even more uh, amusing, I don't know if amusing is a word, but kind of amusing, if I'm being honest, is even after they find out that they can't, they still have this really almost arrogance or confidence of, oh, no, we're right there. We're going to figure it out. But then years pass and years pass, and they never do figure it out because they aren't God. They're not ever going to figure it out because God's creation is absolutely amazing. And people who choose to ignore that are people who choose to believe lies. You know, we know a lot of things. We know how a lot of things works, but we just can't recreate it. We can't do it. And so this series so far has been fun because it's opened my eyes to what is out there in creation and how we're using that to really make our lives more comfortable, making our lives better. Yeah, I want to start by talking about photosynthesis. Photosynthesis is really the source of energy for the world, for life. It is it is the source, and it seems so simple because it is just a few elements. It is the process of green plants containing chlorophyll, which is the green in the plants. It's the green element They are capturing sunlight, bringing in carbon dioxide, using water, taking up from the earth, and they're producing glucose or sugar. It's their food, and then they're releasing oxygen back into the atmosphere. It seems so simple. I just explained it in a sentence. Yet, scientists for a long time now have been trying to replicate fake photosynthesis, trying to make our human-made leaves, and we can't do it. We cannot produce glucose like plants can through the process of photosynthesis. Now, there is some belief that we can produce uh, maybe methane gas or things like that, but photosynthesis produces energy 
in mass and it's all natural. So we're thinking if we want a more reliable source of energy than fossil fuels, cleaner emissions, scientists believe that that can be done by the process of photosynthesis, but we're not there. You know, I want to share some quotes that just almost make me laugh a little bit on the inside, but also share some of this truth that I'm that I'm sharing that it isn't really possible. And, and the first one I want to share is this. This is from a chemist, chemist Winbin Lin from the University of Chicago. It, it, it says, he said, the biggest challenge many people don't realize is that even nature has no solution for the amount of energy we use. We will have to do better than nature. And that's scary. And my answer to that is, do you know why that's scary? Because he knows that we can't do better than nature, that nature is supreme when it comes to producing energy. Yeah. And I want to go all the way back to Genesis on this point, though, because in the beginning, God created everything and he literally said it is very good. Very good. It is very good. Right. So then we have the fall of man. After the fall of man, that's when we get into the curse. And from this curse, we get into this life where things are broken. They're going to be broken. Sometimes in our egotistical, all we think we can fix all of the world's problems, we get this this idea, I guess, that we can do things better than perhaps God has, right? And I think, you know, we have found ways um, to get around the curse to to make things more easier. You know, when we have to go work the land, um, we're creating tools. I mean, let's take a tractor, for instance, a tractor and all the tools you can you can take and, and use on the tractor to plow the land, to, to move the land, right? We have these things today that help us to make jobs easier, but we still have to do the work. We still have to go in and do it because we have to. There is no other option. And when we're doing the work, let me, I'm here to tell you, people want to make it to where we don't have to do anything. We can be lazy. We can sit back and make all this money. That isn't that isn't happening today. So, and what does the Bible say about the lazy? Let's hear it. You won't eat. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> if you're lazy, you ain't getting food. And so, looking at biomimicry, looking at the technology we have today, it's all coming from God's hand. It really is. And and Brian has already started to break down what scientists, almost in a way, are mocking of like almost acting like creation isn't good, like yeah. like it isn't. Now, I'm here to say it is cursed. I've, we, I've shared that. It we is. have to do better than this creation if we're going to get what we want, but we can't do it. But you can see God's design even amongst the cursed. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what we're sharing here, that you can see God's hand in everything that he's done, that he's a part of. Here's an example of, of where I'm at on in regards to biomimicry, in regards to plants. I love clothing. Uh-huh. I do. I'm when we get into the recreation side, when we get into hiking, camping, backpacking, like clothing is so important to me. And I still have to go back to Genesis and that in Genesis, once Adam and Eve found out that they were naked, they wanted clothing and they actually grabbed plants and hid themselves with plants knowing they're naked. Yeah. So that was our very first clothing we ever had was plants. God smarter than us, all-powerful, all-knowing, says, you know what? You guys need another form of clothing. And he gives us animals. He actually makes the first sacrifice of the animal, provides leather clothing for them, and now they're they're into leather clothing. Now, if we look back in our past as humans, we used to wear animals all the time. Animal skins, animal furs, yeah. 
you know, then we get into what I'm going to claim as political incorrectness, where we can no longer wear animals because they would have to die for us to wear that clothing. And we're in a day and age now where there are people looking for other forms of clothing besides animals. And so now we're back into plants again. And what's awesome about this is that God knows that. Yeah. God knows it. He He sees it. And as men smarter than myself begin to study some of the different plants that we have out there, we're starting to find different materials, different fibers that we as humans are going to be able to use to make what's now called smart fabrics or smart clothing. You. You said that animals have to die for us to have clothes. There, there's at least a few exceptions to that. One would be wool, That's which is point. the most amazing exception. Right, yes. I'm thinking like... And when it's I'm, widely accepted, too, because it's not harming the animal. You are spot on. I'm talking about fur coats. Right. You know, we have or the 101 Dalmatians where you're actually using the <laughs> the, the dog, the uh, Corella the DeVille. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. She <laughs> That's wants where to, you went on uh-huh, that? Yeah, she wants to have... Dalmatians. Well, that's what my kids are into. Oh, so, gosh. You know, to have a dog coat. We are not doing that nowadays, right? And we don't have to. We are finding what's called smart fabrics. You know, we had an episode in the past about hook and loop. We're using hook, hook and loop today in our clothing, but fabrics in particular... Man, we are we are learning so much. Here's one example from a pine cone. There's a company called Fit. It's Fiber Innovation Technology. Fit is actually using the ideas of how a pine cone works. Okay, so a pine cone bind their scales and leaves very tightly when they first fall off, because inside that that actual cone is their seeds. Okay. The wind conditions are warm and dry outside. That's what they're going to identify as perfect for germination. Mm-hmm. Okay. When it turns dry and warm, those scales begin to turn outward, releasing that seed. Whenever the conditions outside though are cold or wet, that cone remains super tight and they do not release that seed. And so what, the, what FIT has begun to do is studying that, they have found that they can actually take the fibers that as they curl back in response to that heat... They can now put that into the wool they're using so that the clothing that they're trying to create through using these fibers through this process allows people that when they're wearing it, when they begin to get wet, it uncurls so that they can dry out. And as they get dry or cool, then it uncurls back in to really provide that insulation like we've talked about before. So (laughs) it blows my mind because it's like, living fabric that we have on us that we're using because that is our first line of shelter. Our clothing is our first line of shelter. It really is. And if we have better and better clothing, oh my gosh, I mean, it'll save a lot of people's lives. It save lives. It'll make spending time outdoors more enjoyable. More comfortable. Yes. If it's more renewable, then it's going to be easier to produce and and less harmful on our environment. I kind of want to explain uh, the mechanism and the science behind what you're talking about, Ben, of these fibers that they're creating, how right. they're actually mimicking the pine cone. So if you ever pick up a pine cone and look, each individual, I'm going to say blade or, or petal of it, is shaped, it's wide uh, towards the outside of the pine cone, and where it meets and connects to the pine cone, it's narrow. It's kind of fan-shaped. The bottom is actually where the seed is, and because of the seed structure, it's more dense there and lighter out towards the tip. Things shrink at different rates when they're drying. So for example, a grape is going to shrink immensely and turn into a grape when 
or turn into a raisin, raisin excuse mm-hmm. me, when dried. A rock, when you dry it out, it's not going to change a whole lot, right? Not a whole lot. There could be, but nothing we see. Not, right? Right. not like a raisin, for sure. The whole point is, is that things of different structure and densities shrink at different rates when dried. So the seed at the bottom of the taper and the wide fan tip, as they start to dry, they shrink at different rates and they're in different densities. That's what actually causes this to curl out instead of curl in like most things do when they shrink. So everything shrinks at a different rate and everything is going to shrink to a different size. Mm -hmm. That's what is causing um, these to peel out and that's what they're doing with these new clothing molecules is mimicking the shape and density of a pine cone petal. Yeah, and the pine cone is just one example of what they're calling today bio-inspired clothing. You know, bio-inspired mechanisms that we're using to create these smart fabrics. Um, that's just one example, and it blows my mind because that example alone, just just our clothing doing that, being able to endlessly be on a cycle that repeats where it opens and closes, opens and closes, for us to be dry, to be warm, to dry, to warm. It's unbelievable, Brian. Turns on the heat, turns on the AC, just switches yeah. back and forth. Yeah, exactly. But it all comes from the inspiration of the pine cone that God created. Right. You know, I was just kind of sitting here thinking you were talking about we don't really use a whole lot of animal products for clothes today. And you're talking about plants. And then you and I preach all the time cotton kills, which is derived yeah. from plants. Yeah. And we say that because it holds moisture so tightly. And we So then we say, well, we're synthetics, yep. which are usually plastic materials like this sweatshirt that I'm wearing here. And plastic is derived of oil, Mm -hmm. which is made from plants, which goes all the way back to photosynthesis and the carbon cycle. So really... What? Well, hang on. You're (laughs) going to have to break this down a little bit. Share a little more. Well, I I, got to go back to the Bible in Genesis first here. This is day three. This is page one of your Bible. Chapter one in Genesis. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass the herb that yields seed and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was very good. Mm. I want to point this out. This is day three. This is before animals. This is before humans. I think it's so important because if you look at the evolutionary timeline, what evolutionists say is that it took hundreds of millions of years for the perfect process of photosynthesis to develop. That's an impossibility. Yeah, like, yeah. Keep going. It is an impossibility because for our atmosphere to be healthy, we have to have this carbon cycle and this carbon process and plants are such an integral part of that because they are taking in the carbon dioxide. Well, they're living. They're living. They're living. They're alive. So they have to already have a process set to be living. Correct. Right. And so they're taking in the carbon dioxide, putting out oxygen, which was important because the oxygen-breathing animals and humans that were to come in just a few days in creation had to have all of that present. Right? Right. So the process was put in place before the consumer of the process was created. It just makes sense. And that's what I don't get about people that that want to argue the creation process is it's not like this isn't logical. It's not like it doesn't make sense. It is more logical and more sensual than evolution. And, And 
we're not going to go down the two perspectives too much here. I I do just want to remind those listening that if you are from the perspective that there is no God, then you are going to have to fill in gaps using other things. You're going to have to, and that's what we're at today when we're reading this evolution information. It's from a different perspective that there is no God, and so they're filling in things. To, to us, as we know there's a God, believe in a God, have the perspective that there is a creator smarter, powerful, everything bigger, better than us, that we don't have to fill in those gaps. The gaps are already filled in because of his word, and his word really lays it out clear for us right. what the answers are. But for those that don't want to accept that, they have to remove those things. You do. And so for me, it, it when you hear what their answers are, when you hear their information, it's illogical. It doesn't make sense to me because it's not true. <laughs> right. And, and what I would say to to somebody who would say, yes, it took hundreds of millions of years for the process of photosynthesis to become efficient, it, it couldn't be because the plants wouldn't have lived if it wasn't. The animals and oxygen-breathing things wouldn't have lived. Our atmosphere wouldn't have continued to be healthy and exist if it took that long to happen. So how could the earth and everything that was on it, or even the process of evolution itself continue to get better, things continue to improve, if the carbon cycle wasn't already developed? You talked about the carbon cycle. You already talked about oil. You're yeah. talking about the oil on the ground. Well, yeah, carbon cycle, the carbon cycle is really is the, the cycling of the element carbon, and it starts with photosynthesis. So plants are taking in carbon dioxide and water and producing glucose for themselves to live, their food, and releasing oxygen for us to live so mm-hmm. that we, we have something to breathe. And it's also, we know that our atmosphere to stay healthy, ha- the lower levels of carbon dioxide that are in it, the healthier it is. So plants are what is keeping our atmosphere healthy, healthy enough to sustain life. So photosynthesis is that first part of the carbon cycle. Then you have decomposition, which is literally things decaying and dying that we're living that contain carbon. Humans, all animals, all plants decaying and dying, bringing carbon back to the earth. Then you have respiration. If something is taking in all the carbon, plants, then something has to be putting all the carbon back out, right? Mm -hmm. Which is oxygen breathing animals, humans, and all all of their animals that have lungs and breathe oxygen. Mm -hmm. Then you have combustion. This, This is probably the hottest uh, topic in the carbon cycle because we believe that our ozone layer is being damaged by the levels of carbon dioxide. Again, we need plants to take those levels down. But combustion is when we burn fossil fuels, burn something that is carbon-based, and it releases carbon dioxide into the air, into our atmosphere. So you have this cycle that goes around and around and around. It's released into the air by combustion or by respiration, the plants take carbon dioxide in, they release oxygen back so we can, and it just keeps cycling around and around. Things die, it goes to the earth, it creates a fossil fuel, the fossil fuel is burned, it goes around and around. Again, the fact that it goes around and around and that all of those things require one of those steps to live is another picture to me that God was a lot smarter than we are. Well, you know, he's so smart as well, and, and the water cycle is actually a part of this as well. And and when we talk about the water cycle, when we're talking about snow caps all the way to the regions where we live where we don't have consistent snow, the water is actually going to play a huge role in the carbon dioxide. But all of these processes that we have going on around us is all designed, it's all by a, a greater design than ourselves. Mm-hmm. 
I've got another example of, of that, that I want to share on the plant yeah. world. Um, you know, with the plant, there's a... I love this one. It's it's the lotus effect, which comes from the lotus plant. It's the lotus, lotus leaf. The lotus leaf. And, man, if if you haven't seen videos on this, just type in lotus leaf when you get some time and just watch the videos that come up. Seeing the water on this leaf glide like... You use the word beautiful. It, You're like, this, that is beautiful. It, it is beautiful. But they're actually using... Um, Again, in clothing, using this this understanding of what the lotus leaf is doing in our clothing or trying to, trying to mimic this so that our clothing can be a, what's called hydrophobic, basically. Yeah. Not only it repels, but completely repels, like um, makes it bouncy. I, right. I don't know how to describe it better than that. Um, but there's a second effect of this, that this actual leaf is self-cleaning. And so we would love that to have for our clothing even for paints as well, like we could put in our walls because all you have to do is apply water. And applying water, it actually, the water would remove any kind of dust, debris, dirt, because none of that is actually attached to the leaf. The water would remove it really just by a quick, not even a wash in a wash so machine. if I got muddy, you could just spray me off with the hose. Literally throw a, just a cup of water at your clothing and it would remove the mud from you by mimicking what the lotus leaf does correct absolutely which <laughs> it's it does have to do with that that waxy layer but also looking down deep inside those microstructures what are we looking at what are we seeing there brian well really when you look at a lotus leaf if you look at it under a mic microscope it has i don't know if bumps is the type best word but it's just tiny little bumps all over the whole thing and basically what's happening is as the water sets down on top of all these little bumps it's like if a, if a leaf was flat like my hand and I put my hand down on top of it on the other one, it's making full contact. But if I were to raise my fingers up and point them to the sky and I raise my hand down, it's just making these three little points of contact. Well, water is polar. Well, it's not nearly as stuck to or adhered to uh, my fingers as it is to my hand because of the lack of surface area. And that's really what's happening with the lotus leaf. All these little bumps, water doesn't make really strong full contact with it. So... It's not going to get absorbed or pulled through into the leaf. And if you tilt and turn the leaf, it's going to bead and roll right off of it. And we can mimic that with clothing fibers. Right. And and just to repeat, the dust particles that actually adhere to that water instead of the actual chemical that you'd be putting on the clothing or perhaps what we could put into our paint one day. Right. So, you know, there are actually these products may already be out there on the high end level, but man, they're just now starting with this. I can't wait for it to get into... To all clothing, you know, yep. that we're wearing every day. You know, you mentioned paint. There's another thing that I, that I was reading about that they're studying with paint, and that is some flowers actually have color because of a mechanical mechanism rather than pigmentation. And one of my favorite is the buttercup. Little tiny yellow flowers all over lawns and stuff in the spring. Uh, I I love them. They're really beautiful. They are bright yellow, but they're not yellow because of pigmentation. They actually have no yellow pigment in them. It's it's a mechanical process and, and really what is happening is there's kind of a clear layer on the outside of the petal and as sunlight passes through it, it's refracting off of a part or reflecting, I guess I should say, off a part of uh, the petal and going back through that layer and it makes it look yellow to us. So what they have done is they have put this into the process of producing paints. So mechanical colored paints. There's actually no pigmentation in them. And why this is awesome is because you get the same bright, vibrant colors, but they will never fade. They will always be that same bright color because the pigmentation is not being faded by the sun. It's actually wow. a mechanical process with the use of the sun making the color. You know, plants, gosh, I, 
I didn't understand the really the power of plants until it's a rabbit today. hole. You could go yeah. down this rabbit hole yeah, all can. day long to see what plants bring to our life. So much so that without them, there is no life. There isn't any, right? There is none, right? Well, I was talking earlier about the fake or simulated photosynthesis, and and scientists really, really want this to happen because obviously it is the source of all our energy. So much so that our fossil fuels, our oil that we bring up, our crude oil without photosynthesis wouldn't have happened. If you talk to evolutionists, they're going to tell you that the decaying of plants and animals underneath our earth for hundreds of millions of years has caused these oil reserves. By studying oil, by trying to reproduce oil now, we know that isn't true, so I don't understand why that's still being taught. For oil to be produced, it has to happen in a oxygen-free environment. So things cannot oxidize for crude oil to be produced. So even in our fastest decaying environments where plants and animals decay the fastest, like the, the delta and some of these coastal areas that are hot and dry and things decay really fast, everything still oxidizes. Mm-hmm. Oil isn't being produced there. So basically, we would have had to have a mass event where so many plants and animals were killed at one time in a single layer and then covered up so fast that there was no oxygen present that these things over time, not hundreds of millions of years, would turn into oil. And we know that oil is made from plants and animals because when we test oil, what makes oil combustible, what makes oil able to be turned into gasoline is what's called porphyrins. And these porphyrins are chemicals that are only present in plant material and animal blood. So all of those things would have had to have been present there. We know that that's what oil comes from. And, and porphyrins, actually, they react and separate really quickly, and that's what makes them combustible. That's why crude oil is so important. But even more mind-blowing to me is that the only true explanation for all these oil resort, reserves, mass layers of decaying plants and animals in an oxygen-free environment is the flood. The Genesis flood. Right, right. There's no other explanation. Right. Yet we teach that these oil reserves were made over hundreds of millions of years of plants and animals decaying. And that isn't even how oil is made. We know that. We see that's how it's studied today, but we still force these lies out. And that's kind of mind-blowing. So much so, I thought, well, if we know how it's made, can't we not produce it? Surely we can't. Yeah, we can, and it doesn't take that long. We can now produce crude oil in as little as two to five years naturally. And we can put heat processes to it and we can produce it in two to five days. Mm-hmm. Two to five days. You know what? Right here in the Ozarks where we live, there was a plant that was doing this. There was, yes. There was. Was. And if you want to look as an explanation of why there is no longer... You're not going to get a whole lot of answers. <laughs> no. You're not going to get a whole lot of answers. They were producing oil, and they were sending it off for other plants to use in their generators. It was literally being used as fuel. Mm-hmm. And you know what they were making it from? Animals. They were making it from turkey parts and turkey blood and pig parts and pig blood that were coming from all these slaughterhouses. So rather than letting all that stuff go to waste, they were turning it into usable oil. But I imagine that would have probably hurt some people's pocketbooks and they're no longer around. Coincidence? 
<laughs> I'll let you decide. Yeah. You know, you sharing that makes me think that it probably did stink pretty bad, though. And looking it up, you know, there were some locals that had some problems with how putrid that odor was. You know, you have turkey guts that they're using to... But at the end of the day, it blows my mind even more. It's it's crazy to think that we're taking dead things and turning them back into <laughs> things that we can use for us that are living. You know, I think we just take for granted what all God has done for us, what he's continuing to do for us. Thinking back, there were days when there was no oil. Hmm. Back before the flood, there well, wasn't oil. Why would you right. need oil if you're not living in in a in using the things that we're using today? I mean, there were not vehicles, cars, planes, trains. There wasn't anything like that. So to just see how God is alive, that he is actually still providing for us, making things for us, um, even when we're sinful, even when we're not good. Uh, I just take that for granted, man. Yeah, he he is good, and and it's hard for us to sometimes go through our lives because we don't know his plan. Right. But if you look back, yeah, before the great flood, they didn't need oil because they didn't have combustion. They didn't have combustion engines in vehicles. They didn't need those things. But he knew, as as a group of people, he knew as a society these humans, us, that he created, we were going to have these advancements. He knew it long mm-hmm. before we ever knew it. Mm-hmm. He knew we were going to find ways to tap into these oil reserves. He knew when the flood happened and these oil reserves were formed, he knew that we'd be using them. He knew where they needed to be and located. He knew that we were going to fight over them. He knew the power and the control that was going to come from it. He knows all of the issues between now and his coming back, they're going to come from it. It's going mm-hmm. to continue to be an issue. Every presidential election we have here in the United States, you see it is such a hot topic and issue. Since since the president we have now, Joe Biden, has become president and, and stopped drilling here in the U.S., it has been such a hot topic. Mm-hmm. It is going to continue to be, and God knew all of that. He knew all of it, and he knows how all of this works, and he knows we're going to try to mimic it, and he is only going to, we're only going to be able to mimic it, whether secular scientists or Christian scientists, if he allows us to and if he wants us to. Yeah. One more example I have is a sunflower. This is so cool. Sunflowers, the whole photosynthesis process. Mm. The I'm sun, glad, I forgot about this one. I'm glad you're sharing this the one. Sunfla- the sunflower, as it, the sunflower, as the sun rises, the head of that flower follows and tracks the sun, the light, mm-hmm. all day long. I mean, it turns, and, and if you can watch some videos, there's videos out there of people that have set up cameras and have seen, and you can see the heads of all these sunflowers moving throughout the day, always staying focused on the light. Yeah. And if I could share that with anybody right now, if anybody is struggling, they're like, I don't know what's going on in life, I can't figure things out, follow the light. Keep oh. your <laughs> keep your eyes on the light, just like the sunflower. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you right now that uh, he'll provide for you just like he does for the sunflower. It may not be in the way you wanted to be provided for or the way you thought you were going to be provided for, but he will provide for you. You'll have what you need. Exactly. Biologist moment here. You mentioned the moving of the plants. Mm-hmm. You used to be able to see that, be taught about it in, in books. And I always was kind of confused because I'm like, well, they don't have brains. How do they know? Just kind of a natural thing. Again, I think a sign of, of God's divinity. They don't have muscles, tendons, ligaments. They don't have the, the musculoskeletal structures that we have. So how do they do that? And it's actually pretty simple. 
So they have plant the plant cells on each side of the plant, and they literally pull water in and out of those cells to shrink or elongate them. So if a plant wanted to lean to the left, it's going to shrink the cells on the left side of the plant and add water to the cells on the right side of the plant and start to push from that side and start to lean it over. And that's how they they that's how they move themselves without muscles or tendons or ligaments. That's crazy. Awesome. God's design is awesome, people. God's design is awesome. You see that it betters our lives. You see that there are ways that we want to mimic God's design to make our lives even better, but we can't because it is so incredible. And my message to that is this. If the Big Bang Theory happened, if evolution happened, if just organization and and great complex working processes happen from nothing, happen from chaos, we don't see that in our world today. Chaos never causes order. Chaos never causes a beautiful system like the carbon cycle and photosynthesis. It isn't a coincidence that just stuff started happening just because it worked. God designed all of this. He designed it from the very beginning. The Bible is roughly 1,600 pages explaining how he created the world and how he's going to come back and make it perfect again. So I pray that you would consider that. Just consider what we're talking about here. There are things that are so amazing that we cannot replicate them even though we have amazingly smart human beings on this earth. We still can't figure it out. We cannot. And if you choose to believe that it just happened by coincidence, you're probably believing lies, and I would say that you're in danger. So please consider what we're talking about. You know, this is going to be our last episode of the series. We are going to be back on Thursday with another episode, a longer episode that we usually do on Thursday. We're so thankful that, that you've been listening. We're excited about what is to come for the rest of the year. We do ask that you support us. There are some really easy ways you can do that. First and foremost, just keep listening and hit the automatic download button on the platform that you're listening. Uh, hit the subscribe button on that platform as well. Something that several people have been doing that's been super helpful to us, we've been seeing our podcast go up the charts because of this, as people have been going down and clicking on the leave a review portion and leaving us a rating and review. So thank you so much if you've been doing that. And if you haven't yet, if you would just take a moment to do that for us, we really, really, really would be so grateful. Uh, Even our families would be grateful because you're you're helping us uh, really advance our work, helping our work grow. So we'd be so thankful for that. We have TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. If you want to follow along with some things we're not doing on and off the, or some things we are doing on and off the podcast, uh, that is a great way to do that. Videos, uh, instructionals. Sometimes we try to be funny on there too, but those social media accounts are a great way to do that. If you need to reach out to us with any questions or even arguments, meant2beoutdoors.com. You can get to us through there or m2boutdoors at gmail.com is our email address. We'll be back on Thursday. We hope that between now and that time, you find time to get outdoors. Thank you for listening to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast, hosted by Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandell. Please help us by subscribing. Also, follow along on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook.